Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. It's something that still happens. We still try to use the psychological warfare uh, to influence um, your enemy. That's author and Journal of the American Revolution contributor Todd Braestead discussing dueling proclamations from Israel Putnam and William Tryon. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode of Dispatches is sponsored by Simon & Schuster, publisher of Liberty is Sweet, The Hidden History of the American Revolution by Woody Holton. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is longtime friend of the show, Todd Braestead. And he'll be discussing his new article on dueling proclamations from Israel Putnam and William Tryon during 1777 in and around New York City. One of the great things about Todd's work is that he finds materials that other people haven't seen before or haven't discussed in detail before if they did see it. And it always adds something new. He has this great ability, not just to find new things, that's actually not as hard as you think, uh, but to find meaningful things. And as we'll talk about in the interview today, the note from Israel Putnam uh, to the German soldiers under William Tryon's command, was incendiary and provocative and just troublesome enough to garner the commander's attention. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Todd Braisted. Todd Braisted, welcome back. Oh, thank you, Brady. A pleasure to be back. Uh, looking forward to um, talking about Rev War. Todd, remind us of your background. Um, I've been involved in primary research for the past... Uh, 40-some-odd years um, specializing, uh, but not limited to loyalist studies, uh, the uh, military studies in general, and uh, somewhat uh, New Jersey and the New York City area. Um, I have a bunch of books and articles uh, to my credit, and the research goes on. What first drew your interest into this topic? Well, inspiration, it just, um, I'd like to say that, you know, I set out to write this article. I set out to find these documents. Um, but I think the last time we spoke, I said that that was not the case with that article. And it rings true for this one as well. Um, I just saw these documents and saw them. Hmm, it, it, it actually reminded me of the old Saturday Night Live um, point counterpoint arguments that I always used to like with Jane Curtin. Um, but and I, and I looked at this with Putnam and the, the Hessian officers, and I, I'm actually picturing that in my head. And I'm like, well, okay, this this is interesting. A lot of times when you're doing research, you, you find one item, and you don't find an answer to the item. You can, see a, you can find a letter to someone, but not the reply, or not what caused that letter to be written in the first place. This was a, an interesting opportunity to see um, both both ends of the spectrum. So I saw that. I'm like, yeah, let, let's let's give this a little shot. Uh, frankly, it was it was 
uh, a Facebook post, and it just got expanded for, for JAR. What was the situation around New York City in 1777? Okay. Well, the period we're talking about here is the end of November, beginning of December 1777. Uh, the, the Philadelphia campaign is winding down. Howe's captured Philadelphia. Washington's getting set to enter into Valley Forge. Saratoga is over, um, closer to New York. Sir Henry Clinton's Hudson Valley campaign has come and gone. Uh, he went up the Hudson and uh, captures Forts Clinton and Montgomery, burned Kingston and all that. And then when Howe needed reinforcements, Clinton had to abandon all his gains and return to New York and send Howe what little troops he could spare. So around New York City now is around 7,500 British, German, and provincial troops. And sort of ringing around New York City are, are smaller detachments of continental troops, particularly to the north and Westchester and uh, southwestern Connecticut and the Highlands are some continental troops under General Israel Putnam. So there's really not a lot of action going on right about now. There's a few little skirmishes here and there, but nothing nothing of major import, no major campaigns. Both armies are really getting set to go into, into winter quarters at this point. So they're, they're, they're going to do war with pens rather than swords. Talk about the letter, the focus of your article, that Tryon's men discovered on November 30th. Okay, um, it... It's the English translation, what I found in the Sir Henry Clinton papers in the Clemens Library in Ann Arbor. It was a, a translation by, uh, by General William Tryon's um, translator, Anthony Fiva. And it was from Israel Putnam from the no- middle of November of 1777. And it's, um, it was, the original was in German. And it was addressed to the Hessian soldiers at the lines at Kingsbridge. Kingsbridge at the northern tip of Manhattan, the fortifications that included Fort Washington, which became Fort Knipphausen. And that included uh, some Hessian troops and garrison there. And this letter was meant to be distributed. And there, were, there, were, there were several copies. The British don't know how many copies that there were. They found two. Um, but there were... Israel Putnam was trying to seduce the Hessians to desert to the American cause. Um, why do you have? Why do you want deserters? One, it weakens your enemy's force, and two, it potentially could raise your own force by having these deserters join you. It was telling the Hessians that um, you know the British hate them. You know they're used as cannon fodder. You know the, the British send them on all the dirty details to get slaughtered, and the British take the glory for all this. And that if they come over to the American side, they can live in peace. There's no hazard. There's no dangers. They can work in trades for for really good money. Of course, they're not telling them that. It's, paper money, and probably not good for very much, um, that they will pay for them, presumably in these continental dollars as well, for their weapons, uh, so they bring their weapons with them. And interestingly, at the end of the war, they can either stay in the United States as citizens, or the United States will return them to Germany. Um, how, 
how they thought that deserters would be welcome back to Hesse Castle or wherever else they came from is not stated, uh, but I can't really, really foresee that. But it's basically saying, come over to us. You really don't have to do anything. We'll give you money, um, and you'll have a good time. So that's that's what this 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 proclamation uh, by General Israel Putnam basically stated. How did the German officers respond to this pretty provocative letter? The the commanders um, basically created their their own response to this. They didn't. They were not. They assured um, Tryon that this would have absolutely no effect on the German troops under their command. Uh, on, uh, you know, none of the Hessians were going to desert because of this. So they asked. Tryon, if they could write their own reply um, to send over to Israel Putnam and presumably his troops. Why didn't Tryon respond himself? He um, originally wants Sir Henry Clinton, commanding at New York City, uh, to write this reply and presumably have it published in the papers or distributed amongst the rebel troops in Westchester or whatever. Uh, he, he, you know, he's deferring to his superior officer. He thinks that, you know, coming from the, the commander of the troops of the district would have greater weight, presumably, than it would from him. But, um, surprisingly, before Clinton even, uh, sends a reply, the Hessian officers at Kingsbridge, presumably from the Grenadier Battalion, uh, Kohler, uh, who were there at the time, uh, intervened with Tryon and said, no, 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 let let us write the reply. Was this type of overture, this type of maneuver common during the Revolution? Oh, yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes it could work. Sometimes, it, it usually it doesn't. But it also gives them, the, sometimes they're fun. Um, you know, you can see these sides barbing with each other. Oh, I, I, I guess you'd call it trash-talking now. Um, these Hessian officers had fun with this. They um, they thought it was amusing that uh, Putnam would would tell the uh, the Hessians that they would be, you know, there was everything was you know honey and roses over on their end. He says, you know, we see your prisoners, we see your deserters. They're not worried. They don't have clothing. They don't have shoes. They're starving. They have no money. And and you know you're telling us everything is fine. On, on on your end, you know, we're well paid, we're pro- well provisioned and supplied and everything. We love the British, yeah, we get along great. Um, so we're not going to listen to you. And as uh, one of the things that Putnam said is, you know, this isn't your war, why are you fighting? And the Hessians told them that uh, the matters of state are beyond the comprehension of carpenters and farmers and blacksmiths and whatnot. Um but you see stuff like this all the time, and it's not just between the Hessians and the Americans. It's with loyalists. It's with the British. Uh, it's with um, individual commanders. Uh, this isn't the only time that stuff goes back and forth between Kingsbridge and the American lines north of there. But um, it, it, it's it's kind of fun. Uh, the Hessians even made notice in this one that they the Americans had tried this before when the Hessians first landed on Staten Island in 76, which they did. Interestingly, um, in searching 
uh, some background on this on this particular incident. I found no correspondence between Putnam and Washington or Congress concerning this. So this was this was Putnam doing this on his own. Uh, it, it had no higher authority or, or um, anything like that. Do we know if this letter had any noticeable effect on the German troops under Tryon's command? Um, there's, number one, you have to stipulate that desertion happens all the time uh, from both armies. And we don't know the cause in most cases of why somebody deserts. It could be, as was often the case, an alcohol-related incident. Um, it could be you know, some other motivation. Um, so undoubtedly there were Hessian deserters at this time. Whether or not they you know, came with these papers in hand uh, saying, please accept us and, and, and give us you know, our peace, uh, I, I don't have any idea. It doesn't seem to have and had any effect. There's no further letters from Tryon saying the Hessians are all of a sudden deserting and all this sort of stuff. Um, so uh, probably above what they normally deserted. A lot of times, you know, people say, oh, all the Hessians just wanted to stay in America. A lot of those Hessians who did probably had been prisoners and had been exposed to, you know, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Maryland, and probably a lot of them were, did get employed locally on farms or blacksmith shops or coopers or, or what have you uh, because of the, the labor needs of the country at the time and probably were making a better living than being a soldier. And I think that's probably where a lot of these deserters came from, not so much from the regiments itself in the lines like at Kingsbridge, but probably once you were a prisoner and going, oh, I could make money and not be shot at. That sounds like a good deal since I'm already here and there's no danger of getting caught again. So I think that's more where a lot of these guys uh, switch sides from. I could be wrong, but it, it just seems more logical. How did this situation resolve itself between these two opposing forces? It, it just sort of, this particular incident just goes away. Um, there is There is no further thing. I looked in the newspapers thinking, okay, they, they had a, this, this could start a newspaper war, um, you know, barbs back and forth. It never did. This, uh, I, I looked for these things to be published in the papers. Sometimes they were. Um, this, nothing, nothing happened. And the winter of, of 77, 78 around New York City was really pretty quiet. Um, no, no great battles, no great raids of any sort. The British, I mean, Clinton didn't have that big of a force. And you know, the, the bulk of the Continental Army was at Valley Forge in Pennsylvania. So I think both sides are pretty much content to just uh, uh, sit the winter out. Uh, so this, this particular incident just faded away. It's probably why a lot of people don't even know about it. How does this article help us understand the revolutionary era better, in your opinion, Todd? Well, one of the things that I noted and that I thought of growing up when I did, um, and probably when most of us did, it goes back to um, the Gulf War. Um, the leaflets that the U.S. and others dropped on the Iraqi troops in Kuwait, you know, saying, you know, surrender, 
you know, and you'll be treated well. And I, I, I guess the Iraqis did the same thing to the U.S. It's something that still happens. We still try to use the psychological warfare uh, to influence um, your enemy into surrendering or deserting or um, not uh, not being well motivated in their own cause. So, you know, well, weapons and tactics and uniforms and all that sort of stuff changes uh, over the years. Some of the basic concepts uh, don't. You still try and get into the uh, into the heads of your enemy. Uh, still try and resolve things in a um, non-kinetic manner, as you may be, and you know, do whatever you can to to try and influence um, the coming battle or the coming campaign. Todd Braystead, a pleasure as always. Thank you, Brady. Your pleasure is mine. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.